Hi everyone, my name's Jack. I'm a third year computer engineering student and I'm going to read the Bible for us today. Um, do I need to... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt round his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. (coughs) Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was preaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there sorry, and immediately there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you done with us, Jesus of Nazareth of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, 
and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in in their synagogues and casting out demons. Thanks, Jack. I think I will use this. I think it will work. Hello, hello. Sounds like a light. Good to have you with us at this lunchtime back from Easter. Uh, my name is Rob, and uh, it's, uh, no, I have not met uh, all of you here, uh, but I uh, look forward to hopefully getting the, to meet and get to know some of you. Hopefully, you had a fantastic time over the break last week. Everyone's just completed so much work. It's been so fruitful. <laughs> Sophia speaks for us. Uh, but it doesn't matter if you've wasted that week. That's right. That's the rest of semester now. And for these next six weeks, you can, you know, put your head down and have a snooze. Uh, put your head down and get some work done. We're going to put our head down in Mark's Gospel. And I reckon I've got a pretty hard job at the moment speaking to you from this passage of Mark's Gospel because some of you have had your head in Mark's Gospel. You've been doing it in your faculty groups, this very passage. Some of you have been reading it with someone else. Others of you have been acting it out in Mark's drama last week. And it's, you're just saturated with Mark's Gospel. Uh, and so what else is there to say for some of you? Others of you, you've never seen this before in your life. And it's brand new. And so I've got that. I've got the hard task of being able to um, bring that to everybody. So I'm going to ask God to help us, uh, help me, as we do look at this part of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel message that you've given us here in Mark. Help us to be able to hear what you have to say. Help me to be able to speak uh, clearly. And Lord, help us to know you and be able to respond rightly to you, your message. Amen. Well, Mark just starts. There's no address to anyone. It's just, like we've got it there, the beginning. The beginning of the Gospel. So I thought I'd just start with, here we are, at the beginning, to begin with the beginning, that this is the beginning of the Gospel. And to take note that this is not just a book. This is not just an ordinary book. It's a revelation that I think I had only just very recently, that this is not just a a biography of Jesus' life. It's not just an account of Jesus' life. Mark sees himself writing the gospel, the beginning of the gospel. Well, what does that mean? Well, gospel gets translated various places, good news, and some of you will know that that's what it means, good news. But it just means message or momentous news. That is, news that changes everything. So to give an example of a gospel, I heard a gospel on the 23rd of September 1993. Most of you weren't around at that stage. But there were millions of people from two cities 
that night waiting for four words to be said. Four words to come from a man in another city, a third city, somewhere else in a completely other part of the world. Both cities, people in both cities on the edge of their seats waiting for four words. And those four words ended up being, does anyone know? The winner is Sydney. Sydney. That's right. The winner is Sydney. And what, were, what did we win in Sydney? To host the Olympic Games in the year 2000. Who did we go up against in that last count? It was Beijing. And so Sydney just went off the next day. Juan Antonio Samaraj in Monaco had pronounced that the winner is Maybe it's two syllables and it's five words. Sydney. And if everyone remembered to be able to pronounce Sydney as Sydney. Uh, Sydney just went off. We won the bid for the Olympic Games to host it in 2000. And everything changed at that moment for Sydney. All the plans that were sort of blueprints were now its action stations. And literally it was an earth-moving announcement because diggers just kicked into gear, not the next day, but everything, everything that Sydney did for the next eight years was all, it was all shaped by that announcement that we won the Olympic Games. That was good news. But mind you, it was not good news if you were in Beijing. They were very cut. They were very, very cut and made all sorts of accusations, which we don't have to get into now. <laughs> but... They got the Olympics in the end, uh, and they've had it in, in Beijing. Mark writes of a momentous declaration. He's not just writing a book or an account. He's writing, this is a momentous declaration that I'm giving to you guys. But what's it of? What's it of? It's of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is, Christ is the Greek word that is translating the Hebrew word Messiah, which means, when translated in meaning in English, is anointed one. It helps you a lot, doesn't it? Well, the anointed one is the king, in the king in Israel's history. David, King David, was anointed, and all of his sons who were in his line were anointed to be king. Also, we see that, um, that there's more to this description. It's also, he's called the son of God. The son of God. What does that mean? It only occurs three times, or two other times, in Mark's Gospel, Son of God. But here it is, right at the title, at the very beginning, Son of God. It doesn't mean Jesus is God, though that, may, that, that is true. Uh, it does, it's not a term of divinity. It's actually a term, it's a title of a human, but a unique human, the Son of God. In the Old Testament, who do you think was the first son of God? Does anyone know? Anyone want to show their, their Old Testament knowledge? Someone said it. Adam was the first son of God. Anyone else want to go for another son of God? Saul. Saul was a son of God. Is that right? I think. David is the son of God, the one that follows him. Uh, Saul might be the son of God, so I'm not sure about that one. There's another one. There's a whole nation. Israel is called God's son. What does the son of God mean? It's a title given to the king. 
or God's representative rule over. And so Adam is the son of God, not that he's like a king with a crown so much, but he is given dominion over everything under God. Israel is to represent God to the world. The king, King David, is to rule, rule over Israel and in in um, if it was if he was to live long enough, rule over the nations and to be a representative of God to the nation. So Mark says that in the beginning, this is writing the beginning of the gospel of Jesus being established as that sort of king. What sort of king? The the Christ, the king who is representing God and ruling under God. And so, it's just like, as Mark says, it's just like, as it's written, verse 2 there, in Isaiah the prophet. How is it like that? Well, prepare the way of the Lord. Sorry, verse, pick it up from the beginning of it. Behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. I'll pick up the last bit first. That's a quote from, there's two quotes there, although... Mark says from, it's from Isaiah, half of it's from Isaiah, the other half is from Malachi chapter 3. And he just puts them through together. I'll pick up the last bit first. They're anticipating, anticipating someone coming, preparing the way. What are they anticipating? Who's coming? Well, if you look back at where that quote comes from in Isaiah 40, the people are anticipating God coming. God himself coming to the people. Also, if you see, uh, if you read on in chapter 40 uh, of Isaiah, you'll see that with this announcement that God is coming, there is an end to warfare. There is an end to hostilities. Well, you've got to ask the question, what hostilities? Well, we don't see it here in Mark's Gospel. But, and we'll come to it over the next few weeks, what the hostility is. But I don't know if you've ever played the, uh, the game, um, Race You to the Front Door. Have you ever grown up playing that game? It's a great, best game. <laughs> <laughs> Race You to the Front Door. Like, just, life doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> well, actually it does. Um, it, more exciting is as you grow up and you've, you get the keys. <laughs> I'll race you to the front door and hopefully lock you out. (laughs) And that's a lot of fun. Only to be ratcheted up with the tension when you decide, maybe if I grab mum and dad's keys and lock them out. Um, And which has actually happened, not in my own, amongst my children, but perhaps in the family I grew up in, that might have actually happened. What will happen if we could sort of lock mum and dad out? It's, um, it comes with the feelings of after a while of like, should I open the door? <laughs> Actually, maybe I won't open the door. How long should we go before we do open the door? And the question in your head is, what's the attitude going to be when mum and dad come through the door? And that's the sort of anticipation that the people of Israel have because They've shut God out. They've shut God out. And God says, he is going to come. He's going to break in. Actually, God originally cast them out of the land, but God is going to come and break in. And what's the attitude that God is going to have? 
What is it? What's he going to have? What's he going to do? Well, verse chapter 40 of Isaiah, God promises that he will come and end warfare and bring forgiveness. Malachi, which is the other bit of that, quote, Behold, I send my messenger before your face to prepare your way, anticipates a messenger who will come and the Lord himself, again, will suddenly come to the temple and refine and purify, refine and purify God's people, especially the, the Levites, one of the tribes of Israel. And so therefore, verse 4 there, John appears, baptising in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So how's this preparation for this coming king happening? Well, it's not preparing by building better roads in the end. It's actually preparing people's hearts by getting people to turn around and repent, to open the door, to own up to shutting the door in God's face, repenting, and being cleansed. And being prepared for this king to baptise them with the Holy Spirit. We're going to jump down John's, through John's baptism. Uh, he says that this one who will come will baptise them with the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to see the character of this king who is coming. That's point two in your outlines. Revealing the character of the king. Jesus the king comes and what happens? He gets baptised. So he says in verse 10, uh, sorry, pick it up in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now, if you understand that this baptism is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, it seems odd that Jesus is getting baptised because we're expecting that he has no sin, he has no need to repent and be cleansed. And also, if he, was the, if he is the king, it's a bit odd that he's out at the Jordan River. He's nowhere near Jerusalem where kings should be. He's going to get baptised. Why is he way out in the wilderness? Some of the things are a bit odd in this passage. But when Jesus gets baptised, you remember, see what happens? The heavens are opened and the Spirit descends on him. And a voice from heaven comes. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Which is bizarre enough to have a voice come from heaven. But one that says, you are my son. Here we have that declaration. That Jesus is God's son. And what's being said here by God from the heavens is actually quotes from Psalm 2 but also uh, from Isaiah 42 you are my son my beloved son and Psalm 42 is sort of like it's this national psalm it's a huge psalm it's actually not that long but it's a huge psalm in the, in the psyche of the people it's when the king is coronated when the next king on the throne is coronated. Psalm 2 is the psalm that says, that is read out, that says, This one is the Son of God and he will rule over the nations. 
And so God says of Jesus, you are my son. This happens to be the beginning of Jesus' coronation. It's not just his baptism. It's his coronation. The one who is God's son who would rule the nations. Isaiah 42, who, which we see here, was the expectation of God's, not his king, but God's servant in whom he delights. Isaiah 42, who would bring justice to the nations. And then the, the servant in Isaiah, we go on to see, while he's bringing justice to the nations, he's actually also suffering injustice himself. And ultimately, Isaiah 40, uh, 53, is put to death himself. So here we see God speaking the words of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42, the invincible king who will suffer and be put to death. And it sets the agenda for the rest of what's going to happen throughout the Mark, Mark's Gospel. And we're, as we listeners, are left wondering exactly what is happening and what's going to happen with this guy. Well, there's more levels of bizarre who, that captains because after Jesus is baptised, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. And if you know your Bibles, you'll hear... The number 40 and wilderness. And what sorts of things do you think when you hear 40 and wilderness? You want, want to take a guess? The, the Israelites in the wilderness before they go to land. Yes, the nation of Israel, who from Exodus 4 was called God's son, is saved out of Egypt into the wilderness and live in the desert for 40 years. And as Psalm 95 says, they, uh, they live um, being tested in the wilderness. But they failed to be God's son. They failed to live up to, what, to God's expectation. They were idolatrous. They turned away from God. And so Jesus, as the son of God who represents God's people, is being tested like they were. Will he fail? Will he be, he's the one that we're supposed to be pinning our hopes on. Will he fail? Well, so far, so good. But the, the, the testing doesn't stop after he comes back from the desert. Verse 15, sorry, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is... What sparks Jesus to begin his ministry? John is arrested and put in prison. John, who was the one who announced his coming, is persecuted and imprisoned. The testing in the, of Jesus has not finished yet. It's only just beginning. John, his number one announcer and fan, is now in prison. Okay, it's time. It's time to get the gospel out there. The kingdom of God is now near. Repent and believe. And Jesus' priorities are seen. The priorities of the king, point three. His top priority is to proclaim this gospel, to preach the gospel. And we'll see what difference that makes and why that is. What's the first thing that he does as he goes out and preaches the gospel? Is to find some fishermen. Verse 16. 
passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Uh, and following and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats, mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed them. Here you've got some guys who are fishermen, which, you know, if I was Jesus, I would have chosen, you know, I don't know, something a bit more impressive. Um, is it that big a deal to give up fishing uh, to follow Jesus? I don't know, if you're into fishing, maybe that's a big deal. Uh, maybe Jesus could have gone and found a, like a doctor. Uh, Jesus, ooh, he's you know, got doctors following him. Or a soldier, perhaps. That would have been pretty impressive. Anyway, he's chosen some fishermen. And he's said to them, you're going to follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay. Not pun of Jesus. Uh, he's going to fish for men. But this drama is just propelled forward now. Immediately, if you read through John, uh, Mark's Gospel, you'll see this word, immediately, immediately, immediately. There's a sense of urgency to everything that Jesus is doing. He's recruiting people. He's getting people to turn their back on their career, fishing, but probably more so here. Half of these guys turn their back on their father's business and leave their father with the hired servants. It's not a big ticket item back in those days. Or it is a big ticket item in the wrong sense. That's a, to disown your family and family business. But with the king has, having come with the gospel message, priorities have changed. And it affects the priorities of others. Career, family allegiances. To do what exactly? Well, to be fishers of men, but what's it look like? Well, immediately they depart. Uh, verse 21, pick it up there. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at the teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately in their synagogue there was a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, I'll get you to meet and chat with one or two people around about you, just on that occurrence in the synagogue. What do you think Mark is trying to draw our attention to? Uh, the big, there's a few things there. What's the, do you think the big thing that Mark's trying to draw our attention to, and and why? There you go. Here's a chance to make a new friend. Introduce yourself. Go for it. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> okay. I think. If you've never read this before, that might not be enough time. Uh, that's okay. If you have read this before, this might be not enough time to work out what's happening here. But someone want to want to have a guess, have have your best guess. What my trying to draw is it our attention to? Okay. Uh, 
Jesus is different. He's not just like a regular kind of person. He's teaching with authority. He's doing yeah. things that normal people don't do. Yeah. In the synagogue. In the synagogue, yeah, that's right. We'll pick up anyone else's. Want to go with that? Anyone else want to go with something different? Anything at all? Okay. Anything you were going to say? Mm. <laughs> I was going to say um, authority. Like, I don't know, it's mentioned only twice, but authority. there's an emphasis on Jesus' authority. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, notice that he, he teaches with authority. It, it comes up a few times. Yeah, exactly. He teaches with authority, not like the teachers of the law, which means they're used to people who don't teach with authority, uh, whatever that looks like. But what sort of authority? Because you don't actually hear the first part of his sermon, whatever it is. The bit of the sermon that, if you like, that Mark records is the bit where he casts out the unclean spirit. And that's the bit there the people say, what do they say when they see the, the men with the evil spirit cast out? They say, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. They don't say, what, um, what an amazing miracle, though that's what it is, or how fantastic it is what God has done for this guy, though that is true. They say, what is this? A new teaching. They understand what has happened is a teaching. Now that's a pretty good teaching, if you like, to be able to cause that sort of effect in someone's life. And it goes with the priority that Mark's showing us that Jesus has, that he's, he's preaching a gospel. That's what he does as a king. He's not marshalling a, an army. Uh, he's not mounting a political campaign. He's speaking a message as the king. And it's the message itself that he speaks which is actually the power that is changing people's lives and causing change in the world and the causing the inbreaking of God's kingdom. That's why he gets these guys from off the boat to get them along with him speaking the message of the kingdom. It sounds strange to us. How can speaking a message be something that changes someone's life, causes this sort of change. Well, stick with us and see what happens over these coming weeks. But what do we see with this teaching, this new this authority? It's the authority to overthrow kingdoms, at least in this first case, to overthrow the satanic kingdom of evil which seeks to torment humanity. Uh, Satan, we're told, who's tempted Jesus already, is a deceiver. He tells lies. Uh, we read in John. Jesus has come to overthrow the satanic kingdoms of evil, which seek to torment humanity. And he does it. With the word of his kingship. The gospel. And so... The word's out. Fame of Jesus spreads everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. They go to Simon in Simon's mother-in-law's house. She has a fever. Jesus heals her. Conveniently, she gets up and starts serving lunch to them. And then everyone else hears about it and brings people from everywhere 
that until sun, the sun has gone down, Jesus is healing people and casting out demons. Healing people and casting out demons. Hopefully you got a chance for a sandwich in amongst all of that. But it was just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And that day, Jesus did some of the most amazingly kind things for people who had been tormented for years and years, perhaps generations, such that they could never rest, they could never relax, perhaps even get a good night's sleep with sickness and disease, and Jesus relieves them in that town. And you can imagine people going to bed that night, perhaps the first time in years, and actually sleeping well. The torment within the community has died down. It's a peaceful place. Imagine, actually, maybe people not sleeping. Maybe they're sitting up till late in the night, speaking of what Jesus has done for them and recounting how, you know, cousin so-and-so who's been healed and, and other friends who've received release from Jesus. So much so that the next morning, well, not so much so, but Jesus gets up very early the next morning and leaves while it's still dark, goes off to a solitary place to pray. And Peter newly recruited, takes charge. He goes to find Jesus. He says, Jesus, I've worked it all out. Everyone's looking for you. We're all lined up, ready for business. And Jesus does the thing that most people would not expect Jesus to do. What does he say? Verse 38, right down the bottom. He said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that's why I've come for. The people have gathered, ready for Jesus to act. He walks the other way. And Peter's, I don't know, we don't tell, we're not told what Peter's thinking, but is he thinking, is this what I gave up fishing for? Like Jesus walking away from this amazing success. What's happening here? Your priorities are never shown by what you do. Your priorities are shown in what you choose not to do. Jesus shows his priorities by choosing not to keep healing people and fixing people's problems in that town. He's come to preach the kingdom. That's why he's come. Because that's the thing that's bringing in change to people's lives. Peter may be wondering what it is that he's done to give up his nets, what it is that he's signed up to. And perhaps you feel a bit like that. If you're a Christian and you serve in a church, you serve here at Uni Bible Group, you throw your efforts into all sorts of things and serving, and you think, oh, is it all worth it? Maybe I should just go back to fishing or back to whatever it is or do something else. But what we need to do is to grasp hold of what is God's priority? What is Jesus' priority? It's making the message of the kingdom known. That's why in our ministries, our churches, and uni Bible group, we'll know our priorities by what we say, no, we're not going to do that, as good as that is. We're going to 
seek to have people understand the gospel better and be taught that. And as, it, as hard as that is at times, and it seems to be a little fruit at times, that is, the, that is the thing that is bringing change in people's lives. And so if you're of that uh, weary nature, as I know I am at times, we just need to grasp hold of what God's doing in the world through the gospel. But it may be that you've never heard this message before. You've never repented. You've never believed the gospel. Well, the gospel is not just a book. It's not just an account. It's a declaration that Jesus is king. And it's a declaration that affects your life. It's a little bit like, and maybe you haven't heard it before, but now you do. It's a little bit like growing up as a kid, you know, as a citizen of Australia. You haven't got a clue what a prime minister is. You haven't got a clue what the name of the prime minister is. You haven't got a government is or what a parliament does. But as you're growing up, you need to understand that as a citizen of the country, we've got a prime minister and rules and things, and that's the reality that you just have to grasp hold of. Jesus has come 2,000 years ago bringing the message that he is the king that God has appointed over humanity. You may never have heard it before, but if it's the reality, you just got to grasp hold of that and live in light of that. If he is who he says he is, that he is God's appointed ruler for all time, for all people, then are you living under his rule? Have you opened the door to his rule or have you shut the door and are holding it closed? What you need to do is to keep coming along and understanding, is Jesus really who he says he is? If he's not, move on. If he is, it will change all your priorities for eternity. How about I pray that we might actually understand more? the message of the gospel means for us. Father, we thank you that Jesus has come and has brought your kingdom broken into our world. And Father, we thank you that we are able to read about it in the gospel of Mark that you've given us. Help us to hear your word, to repent, to believe, and grasp hold of what Jesus is doing in this world. Amen. We're going to pray a little bit more. Anthony's going to lead us. Hey guys, um, I'm Anthony. I'm a first year engineering and physics student. And um, we're going to pray now. And prayer is just a time where we can talk to our God um, who we rely on every day. So let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this great opportunity we can have to uh, hear your word um, yeah, and learn from it. Thanks for, for Rob uh, for bringing the message, um, yeah, bringing the gospel to us. I pray for the Easter mission. Uh, thank you for that great opportunity we could have to uh, tell others um, about who you are, Lord, and um, what you have come into the world to do for us. Um, I also pray for the um, follow-up for the Easter mission that we could, uh, yeah, we could continue to have those conversations with uh, people we, um, yeah, we talk to. Uh, I pray for the Uncover Mark program. And for those reading uh, the Gospel of Mark with uh, 
non-believers and uh, with each other. I pray that yeah, your spirit would work in, uh, in their hearts and in all of our hearts. I, uh, I pray for the University of uh, Hobart and the University Fellowship of Christians there uh, for their Engage conference that they just had. Um, I pray that those who attended um, were encouraged and challenged to live a life, um, a lifestyle of evangelism. Also pray for their cluster events, um, which uh, yeah, were hopefully effective in planning uh, evangelistic events uh, for the yeah for you. I, um, I uh, pray for Sri Lanka, Lord. Um, it's been a hard time for that country and for Christians in that country recently. I pray for those affected, um, the families of those affected and uh, the victims themselves. Um, and we pray for the, the country of Sri Lanka as a whole, Lord, that uh, yeah, it would be able to be rebuilt um, and the, that the security of the country would um, yeah, quickly be rebuilt for those living in Sri Lanka. And I uh, pray lastly for, for those who persecute us, Lord, um, whether physically, verbally or otherwise. Um, help us to love those who, are, yeah, who persecute us, um, demonstrating the love that you showed to us. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.